Well, as you know, we're making our way through this morning series through Matthew's Gospel. We're spending some time in the Sermon on the Mount. You know by now that Jesus has had his disciples around him, perhaps other followers uh, there. But what has he been teaching about and why? When asked why this sermon, this sermon, not this sermon, was so important, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that one of the great distinguishing marks he felt in the church in his day was its superficiality. And he pinpointed that problem with a failing to take seriously enough many of the teachings that we find in God's word. Now, those comments would have been made about 60 years ago, so I wonder what he would have made of the church today. But superficiality and superficial religion was around in Jesus' day. Plenty of people would put on a pretend cloak of holiness only to live lives with no clues that would point you to the God that they claim to worship. And Jesus had warned his hearers that your status is not what's important in this life, nor is it your wealth, nor is it your power, nor is it whatever authority you may hold. What you look like, what I look like from the outside is not what is going to impress God. Jesus has been teaching about the matter of the heart. He's been teaching about the importance of the inner character and of a true spiritual walk, righteousness in our lives. When I was a teenager on camp, they would often want volunteers for jobs and the leaders, Vinny, some of you may know him, would often say, one volunteer is better than 10 pressed men. I want you to do this job willingly, he would say. Don't know why I can remember that after all those years. But Jesus is teaching here that heartfelt obedience is far more important than a legalistic, ritualistic observance of the law which of course the Pharisees who were there in those days were experts in. He wants to see a serious approach to our personal holiness and righteousness and to understand why that is so important. This was a message that they needed to hear then. This is a message though that we need to hear today also. Shouldn't we be able to distinguish Christians not by what we look like on the outside or what we wear but by what you know them to be, the person that they are. What is their character like? What is the real them? What is the real me? How do we fare on that score? And it can be easy when we come to passages like this that we think, oh, he's just warning those hypocrites. This is a passage for them, not really for me. But if we think like that, then we've missed the point. This passage is for us, isn't it? Sin is about me worshipping me and putting myself on the throne of my life. Any of us can do it. The, the temptations are there. The dangers are there. And that's why we need verses like these to help us and to remind us. And in the first four verses of chapter six, which Steve brought to us last week, we saw Jesus saying, don't do your righteousness or your good deeds in front of men to be seen by them. Instead, those things should be done in secret and your father who sees what is in secret will reward you. 
Now, those principles come back a bit today as the Lord teaches us more about the importance of the spiritual life and we come to this subject of prayer. And what we're going to say today, I hope, is very simple. We're going to see three things. We're going to see, firstly, that we are to pray. We must pray. We're going to see, secondly, that there's a way not to pray. And thirdly, that there's a way to pray from these verses. So firstly, Jesus says in verse 5, when you pray. When you pray. Followers of Jesus will pray. He doesn't start by saying, if you pray. He says, when you pray. There's a clear expectation here. Some of you maybe have just had exam results and well done on those if that's you. I'd expect that you would have had to revise and to work to get those exams and to get the grades that you needed. In fact, I'd be surprised if anyone could say I got a seven in maths or an eight in English or a six in chemistry or I don't understand today's grade systems. But you didn't study. You're not going to tell me that, are you? You studied, you worked, you revised, you did what you needed to. If you're part of a football team, I, I wouldn't say, do you ever train? Because I know if you don't train, you won't play. If you're an athlete, I might ask you, how's your training going? When are you training this week? You know that if you do that sort of thing, if you don't train for a few weeks, well, you lose your sharpness, you lose your fitness, it just goes, doesn't it? It's really hard to get back into it. And if our sport or our hobby should be active, then so should our faith be, shouldn't it? So should our prayer life and our Bible study life should be so active and sharp and constant and regular. If you are married, and you love your husband or your wife, how often will you talk to them? If you're a dad or a mom, how often do you talk to your children? If you're a son or a daughter and you've got parents or grandparents or other relatives, how often do you talk to them? It's more surely than once a week on a Sunday morning, isn't it? But maybe there are some people who would see that as the Christian life. Once I went to a church and I preached and somebody said to me afterwards, thank you, that will keep me going till next Sunday. And I thought, well, I hope you have more than me to keep you going till next Sunday. I hope you don't do nothing in the week between this Sunday and next Sunday in terms of coming to the word and prayer. Jesus doesn't share that low expectation of once a week does he he says to the hearers when you pray if you believe in God and you call him your Lord and Savior then you will pray to him won't you find me a Christian in the Bible who doesn't pray can you just like I could challenge you to find me a professional sports person who doesn't train and yet plays wouldn't be easy to do so how is it with me and with you in our spiritual lives? Perhaps you'd say to me, well, I find prayer hard. 
We do, don't we, at times? Perhaps prayer does become a struggle for a season. Perhaps it feels hard to pray. Circumstances in your life mean it's difficult to find things to thank God for in the position that he's put you in, you feel. Maybe it's like you feel you're in a long tunnel and you can't see the other side. But we should pray. And we should pray even when we don't feel like it. The psalm that we read at the start has lots of things in to thank God for. And at the end, I'm just going to put some up on the screen to, to help us see that in God's word, there are lots of things that we can be reminded of to thank God for and to praise God for and to ask him for, even if we can't think of them. God's word has them for us. And in his word, we're commanded to pray. We're told in Colossians chapter four and verse two, Paul writes, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So we can do that. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we're to pray. We're to pray on our own. We're to pray in our homes. We're to pray with our families. We're to pray together as a church. And we could say lots more about that. But Jesus is going to show us now some specific things on this issue of prayer. Secondly, we're going to see how he says when you pray, don't do it like this. There's warnings to take note of. There's ways in which we're not to pray. He says in verse 5, don't be like the hypocrites or maybe the pretenders. Your version might have it. Why should we not be like the hypocrites? Why should we not be like them because here are people who want to be noticed here are people who want people to look at them and say oh look at him look at her aren't they so holy aren't they so virtuous now what's going on here in verse five well if you were jewish you knew that there were set times of prayer when the committed, when the really committed were expected to turn up, there was morning prayer, there was afternoon prayer, there was evening prayer. And if you lived near Jerusalem and you could get to the temple, well, that was the obvious place to go. If you couldn't get there, you could try the local synagogue. And some people would even stand and stop on the street corners to pray. And you'd hear them and you'd see them and you'd know they were there, almost as if, I have to pray here because I can't wait to get to the synagogue so that people would go, look at him. Look at him. Isn't he so clever? Isn't he so religious? Doesn't he know the scriptures well? The Lord says, don't be like them. I say to you, they have their reward, says verse five. There's a different way I'm going to show you. Remember Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 18 about the Pharisee and the tax collector, how they went into the temple together. Now, there was nothing wrong with going into the temple, was there? Nothing wrong with being there, but how did the Pharisee do it? Well, he didn't slink in and sit on the back row out of the way, but he went to the front and he stood up so that everyone could see, so that everyone could hear, look at me. 
But the guy he'd come in with, or the tax collector that the scripture tells us of, the contrast was so striking, wasn't it? He couldn't even look up, this other man. And it was all he could do to say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. While the Pharisee said, look at me, I'm so good and I'm glad I'm not like him. The tax collector said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's what was happening here. They wanted to be seen by people. They wanted people to look at them and they wanted the praise and the credit and the adulation and the respect. Were they sincere? No, because it was all about them. And the Lord says they've had their reward. That's all they're gonna get. They're not getting it from me. It's about the heart. This is the issue that Jesus is teaching about. It's about the heart attitude and prayer and the deeds that we saw last week and the righteousness that Steve spoke about. Those things that are just done for show, those things that are just done to impress others, they don't impress God. In fact, it's an insult to God. It's the attitude of the heart that Jesus is reinforcing. It's not about the space you're standing on or the seat you're sitting in. It's the attitude of the heart. And Jesus isn't speaking against public prayers, is he? There's some wonderful examples of public prayers in the Bible, like Solomon's prayer of dedication of the temple in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, or in Acts chapter 4, you've got this prayer of boldness for Peter and John, and when they prayed, the Spirit came and shook the place where they were standing. It's about the attitude of our hearts. And Jesus says, don't use vain repetitions like they do. They think they're going to be heard because of their many words. They think that will impress God, this ornate vocabulary or this ability to go on and on. And so we can learn some lessons, can't we, from what Jesus describes here. First one is, who is it that we're people are to look to? Are people to look at me or are they to look to the Lord? Who's to receive the glory? Is it me? No, it's the Lord, isn't it? We need to be pointing people to him, not to ourselves. If before I'd started this sermon, I'd walked out of here, I'd gone out there or gone somewhere you could see and, and fallen on my knees in a posture of prayer, would you, what would you think? Would you think he's distracting us? Would you think, why not go and pray in a quiet room? I shouldn't be trying to draw attention to myself unnecessarily, should I? And the Lord says we shouldn't think that the effectiveness of our prayers will depend on how cleverly worded they are. In fact, Cliff reminded us about this on Wednesday when he, he reminded us that sometimes we don't have the words to say and our words are imperfect or sometimes inadequate, but the Lord takes and perfects our prayers. They don't have to be polished to a T. When we're praying with the church, when we're praying with our brothers and sisters, then we want to hear real heartfelt passion, don't we? Don't you love to hear people pray whose prayers are not what you might call polished? That we pray 
that you can tell when that someone's praying just what's on their heart, that their love for the Lord is obvious and shines through. It's real, it's genuine, there's no show. We want love for Christ to be seen, don't we? We want the love for the Lord to shine through. We don't set an entry barrier of how eloquent your prayers must be before you can come and pray with us on Monday or Wednesday or Friday. Just come. Just let me encourage you to come and be with us and pray with us. Even if you don't think you can pray many prayers with many long words, the Lord's just said that's not the issue. He's interested in our hearts. In John chapter 4 and verse 24, it says that God is spirit. And those who worship him, and that's us, must do so in spirit and in truth. Can you just pray simply and truthfully and honestly about what's on your heart or what God's word has said? Something about him? That's what was missing here. There wasn't the truth in the prayers of these hypocrites. It was just a show. And Jesus says of them, they have received their reward in full. No more is coming. So we're not to be like that. But then he tells us how to pray. Here's some things that you should do when you pray. Or here's some ways in which you can pray. This is the real heart of the Lord's teaching here. In verse 6 he says, whenever you pray, go into your private room and close the door and pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Well, does Jesus mean we have to have a specific prayer room in our house? I don't think that's the point. It's not the place of prayer, is it? It's the attitude of mind and heart as we come. It's not about secrecy, but it's about sincerity. Prayer is something that takes place between us and God. When we come to pray, when you join us on a Wednesday or the mornings, how much are we aware that we're approaching God as we come? And so the Lord helps us in this. I think we can take from this that he says we're to free ourselves of distractions. So the picture of going into this small quiet room and shutting the door means that we won't be distracted. There's, there's no one else in there with us. There's not things there that are going to cause our attention to wander and go from him. Here's the picture of somebody alone with God, talking with him, free of distractions and not doing anything so that others may see because there's nobody else in there to see. Now we're honest people, aren't we? I hope. When we've had church in lockdown, how easy was it for you to get distracted? while the morning service was on, on YouTube or however you watched it. On Wednesday nights, when we're praying on Zoom, how easy is it for us to get distracted? Is there ways practically in which we can minimize those things? Just where we have, where we sit, what's around us? And the Lord isn't saying we must only pray in secret and never with anyone else, is he? But rather he is saying there's some helpful things to shut out as we come to him in prayer. We should, we should, in a sense, shut out ourselves because he's just told us that prayer isn't about 
us. It's not about me, 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 but it's about him. We should shut out the distractions from others. I'm not praying to others to impress them, but I'm speaking to God. If you just stop and roll those words over for a minute, that you and I, as we pray, are coming to God, are coming to the Lord, are speaking to him. So we can't come to prayer full of ourselves, full of how good we are, full of how clever we are. Otherwise, I'm like that person standing on the street corner, bellowing at the top of my voice. But instead, we can say with the psalmist, unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord, O God, with all of my heart. And so as we pray, we realise that we're coming into the presence of God. And if we really and truly think about that before we speak, before we pray that I'm coming into an audience with God, the Almighty, the eternal God, who is light and in whom is no darkness at all, if I remember that, then that will help me not to, as Jesus says, babble on as the heathens do. In verse 7, I won't make my prayers about me, me, me and what I've done, but I'll make them initially at least about him, him, him and what he's done. And if I realise that I'm coming to my heavenly father as one of his children, then I'm comforted to know that as verse 8 says, he, he knows what we need before we ask him. He knows us. He knows our needs. He knows the circumstances that we're in. Isn't it so comforting to know that as we come to the Lord, he knows everything about us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Isn't it comforting to know and reassuring to know that as we come to prayer, we come to a God who is infinitely able to do more than we could ask or imagine, as Ephesians 3 says. We must pray. We must pray as individuals. We must pray as the church. And we know a blessing, don't we, when we pray together to hear others pray, to hear others pray for you in your circumstances, in your difficulty, in your loss, in your bereavement, in your sadness, in what may come for you. To hear others pray for us is wonderful. To lift the church before the Lord, to lift our needs before him, to lift him. And Jesus talks about sincerity as we pray. He says, don't go on like those heathens do with their vain repetitions. Perhaps he was thinking of those religious scribes who he says in Mark chapter 12, he says about them for a pretense, they make long prayers. Doesn't necessarily mean a long prayer is wrong, does it? We've got those great prayers in the scripture. We mentioned a couple of them earlier. But we need to remember the motives for prayer. You remember in 1 Kings chapter 18, remember those prophets of Baal trying to call down the fire of the Lord and they went on and on all day calling, supposedly praying, working themselves up in a frenzy, shouting and screaming and cutting themselves with knives. You couldn't get a greater contrast, could you, of how to come to God between that and what Jesus is describing here that we should do 
and we should be like. So as we come to pray, be real, be yourself. Praise God for who he is. Tell him what's on your heart because he already knows. And actually we've got some great examples in the word, haven't we, of fervent prayers, powerful prayers, passionate prayers that are actually very short. You could look at Solomon's prayer for wisdom in 1 Kings chapter 3. You could look at Elijah as he prayed in 1 Kings chapter 18 in this contrast to the prophets of Baal as Elijah prays for the fire to fall. It takes up a couple of verses, but it's powerful. Think of the tax collector in Luke chapter 18 where he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Is there a more passionate prayer that you'd love to hear than that? Think of the dying thief in Luke chapter 23 as he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Think of Stephen in Acts chapter 7 as he was about to meet his death. As the stones were falling, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and do not hold this sin against them. And when we pick up this passage in a couple of weeks time, we're going to come to the Lord's Prayer, that great model for prayer. And that's not that long, is it? And that's how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And Josh is going to bring us that passage the week after next. And the Lord says through here that we can have confidence as we pray. We can have confidence as we come to him. Don't be like them, he says. Your father knows what you need before you even ask him. Think of a child coming to mum or dad to ask for something. If you've been in that position, actually, you see, they come towards you and they're about to ask something. And chances are you know what they're going to ask probably depends which child it is. You know what they're going to ask before they've even opened their mouth. But you want to hear them ask it, don't you? You want to hear them talk to you. You want that relationship with them. That's just what a loving parent wants to hear. So how much more our Heavenly Father? And we can have confidence in knowing that our Heavenly Father will do what is right. Whatever my God ordains is right says that hymn that we've sung recently. Well, what can I pray for, you might ask? What can I pray for, particularly when I don't feel like praying? Well, maybe when we go home, go back to the psalm that we read at the start of the service. Even in Psalm 103 that we read, there's plenty of things that you could pray for about what God has done. I've just picked a few out on the screen there, hopefully, that you'll see. We can remember what God has done. We can remember all his benefits and how he's forgiven our sins and how he saved us and redeemed us and crowned us with love and compassion, says the psalm. We can remember what God has promised. We can thank him for his promises, which are certain and sure, that he's gracious, that he's compassionate, that he doesn't treat us like our sins deserve. We can trust in a God knowing that he cares, knowing that he's not remote and distant and not present. But just like a father who has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him.
and we can rejoice in the God who saves. We can pray for people to be saved. We can thank him for our salvation. We can pray that others that we know, those who we love in our families, those that we're going to meet this week in, in Holiday Bible Club, that we can rejoice that God still works, that God still saves. He hasn't stopped. He hasn't finished. He's bringing his people to himself. There's plenty more in Psalms like that. There's plenty more in the scripture, but just open and see what we can pray for. So when we come this week to pray, when you pray in your quiet times at home, when you pray with the family or with your husband or wife or with whoever it may be, when you pray with the church, we can remember things like that. We can pray that God will still save. We can pray that he will still forgive sins we can pray that he will, prom he will, as he's promised, still be gracious and compassionate as a father is to his children. So may the Lord help us in these things and may we, may we be a people truly of prayer.